All right. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here with you. Um, excited to be just here in my living room with our pictures and lamps and things behind me. I mean, uh, just like you sitting in my, my living room or wherever you're sitting, thankful that you're here. Um, and excited because we're about to start a new series together. Um, in a new year, um, we were considering what uh, we, we want to do. And as, as David had just prayed for us a few minutes ago, uh, my prayer is that we would have more affection. We would treasure Jesus more. It, out of that comes so much. Um, and so I'm excited to consider that. I, I want to start, though, with a, a story that I think is an amazing moment uh, that that we see written down in Scripture in the book of Luke. Um, but it, the reality of this moment is is just insane. It's wild that this is happening. And it is a story that I remember as a kid being acted out for me at like a VBS thing and thinking, oh, that's cool. And then later as an adult, like reading it and considering the reality of this moment happening, um, it, it, let, let me just tell you the story that there's this moment in, in history. Uh, it's, you know, 2000 years ago. That's how a lot of white Bible stories start. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, Jesus had been, just had been murdered. He was put into his tomb. And then a few days after that, these two friends, we assume they're friends, are walking together on a road. They're walking to Emmaus, uh, another city. And as they walk, they seem down, sad, burned, as if something had been lost, kind of disappointed maybe even. Do you know how that feels, that weight right now feels, I don't think it's hard to access that feeling, right? Just heaviness. They were talking amongst themselves, and then another person appears. This other man appears with them. I don't think think like magically, like there's not a puff of smoke, but he just all of a sudden is walking with them. And, and it's Jesus, but they don't recognize it as Jesus. That's kind of important for him, what he's going to teach them. But they're walking on the road. Jesus has been killed, and they are bummed. And he shows up. They don't recognize him, and he's walking with them. And so the three of them walk on the road together, and they look sad. They've been talking, and, and Jesus asks them, Hey, what, what are you guys talking about? And the one, we hear his name is Cleopas. He says, are you, I love how the phrase is, are you the only person around who doesn't know what just happened? How could you not know, right? Jesus says, well, what, what happened? He says, well, there's this person, Jesus, who we thought was this great prophet, powerful in word and deed, he was came before God and man and was everything that we needed. And then the rulers, the leaders, uh, the priests had him killed. They actually used the, the Romans here to kill him and crucify him. And he died. And they put him in a tomb. We thought he was it. We thought he was going to rescue us. He was going to bring Israel back, redeem Israel. 
he had to have been one of the greatest prophets ever. Now, amazing thing did just happen. Some of the women we know went to his tomb to honor him and bring things, and he wasn't there. And they said an angel came and said that he's actually alive. Some people actually went and checked it out. It's true. There is no body there. We, we just don't even know what to think. It, we thought he was coming as this king to rescue us, and he died in a tomb, and now he's not there. Consider this moment, though. In real life, consider this moment. They're talking with Jesus, telling him the story about Jesus and who he is and what he's supposed to be doing. I love Jesus' response. He says, how foolish are you? How slow to believe that what the prophets were saying didn't come true. Don't you remember the prophets told us that the Messiah would come and he would have to suffer and then he'd enter into his glory. You forgot about the suffering part. And your vision is so small. You think he's just a good prophet who's going to help you out right now in this time, in this place, maybe change the government, change how the culture works. Oh, and so then it says this amazing phrase. It says that Jesus explains to them. You know, remember, they're walking together on a road. I, I imagine the two of them around Jesus, and he, they say he explains all of Moses and the prophets to them. So all of Scripture, he says, let's have a little Bible study as we walk. And, and he points it all to himself. He says, all of this that you know, all of this Old Testament, all these stories of who God is, all about these prophets, all of this is just a story building and building and building to me. Like It's all fulfilled in me. I am the pinnacle. I'm the climax of this story. It's me. And so as they walk, they actually get to where they're going. And Jesus is going to walk on and they say, you got to come. You've got to come sit with us. Come to our home. And he does. And they sit down to have a meal and he actually breaks bread. I have to imagine this moment where he lifts up bread and breaks it. I, I, I don't know if they know the story of the Last Supper, but in that moment as God breaks bread in front of them, they realize it clicks. This is him. He's with us. And then he disappears. I don't know if that was a cloud. Poof. You know, there's a magician trick. I, I mean, it's not a magician, right? It's Jesus disappears. This story they tell forever, right? Forever in their families. They can tell a story of when their great, 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 great grandfather got to be with Jesus. Here's the part I want you to hear, though. This is the part um, at the end. This is what they say to themselves. Jesus has talked to them, has explained how the scriptures all build to him, that he is the ultimate, that it's all about him. Can you imagine they were so sad? And then all of a sudden he's alive and he's with us. He's right here with us. And they turn to each other and they say, they ask each other this, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talk, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning within us? What a, a phrase, what a feeling from this weight to now Jesus explaining how it all is being fulfilled. I mean, what, 
what is this burning hearts thing all about, right? Did they maybe just have some weird pizza for dinner? They need some Tums? Their heart? Well, no, right? They, they said the scriptures were open to them. Jesus is more than just some great prophet here to save their governmental problems. He's opened their eyes, their hearts to the reality that everything they desire is fulfilled in him. That all the great stories of kings and prophets and faithful worshipers of God were just a shadow of this great king and prophet and priest and sufferer of Jesus. All of world's history had been moving towards this moment and Jesus fulfills all of that. I, I love this story. It reminds me of when I read, especially I'm reading my Old Testament and I'm, I'm in the book of Numbers and I'm thinking, I'm not sure, God, what you want to do with this. It reminds me, God, if nothing else, how, how is this going to remind me and push me towards Jesus who fulfills all things? How will this encourage me that he is good and help me love him more? And, and that is my desire and my excitement for the next few months together. We are going to uh, take time to walk through the book of Hebrews. We're calling this series Jesus is Greater, which is the one of the big arcane themes in the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews does what Jesus did on that road with those two brothers. He, he, he opens scripture and he shows us how all of this story of the Old Testament was building towards him. So I'm excited for that. We're going to need an opportunity to do that, to have our hearts burn for Jesus because we're reminded that he fulfills all these things that we desire. I, I, this, this book has been a great encouragement to me, and so I'm excited to get into it. Let's take a moment before we get uh, into the first few verses of it to just uh, kind of a little survey of the book of Hebrews. We'll, we'll start with just... Who is the book of Hebrews written to? Now, if, if you don't know this, the book of Hebrews isn't, we call it a book of Hebrews. The Bible is a whole bunch of books, right? They're different letters. They're different styles of writing that has been put together. And we believe all of this, God has spoken through people and he written down for us. We actually get to kind of communicate with God through his word. And so the book of Hebrews is a letter, not really written in the form of a normal letter, but it's a letter that we believe was written to a church. Um, and so first, we want to think about who actually wrote the letter. Like if I wrote a letter to, to my grandfather, you'd say, oh, Drew wrote the letter. And who do you write to? His grandfather. Well, we don't really know who wrote this. Is that helpful? There. We just don't know. We, we have ideas throughout history. We've thought maybe it was Paul or maybe uh, someone working with Paul, or there's people like Clement, you know, Clement, um, all sorts of people. We're still really unsure who exactly wrote the letter, um, but we are pretty sure at least the kind of people that he was writing to. He was writing to Jewish Christians, and we know that because um, in the book, there's a lot of Old Testament that's kind of assumed. The people he's writing this to uh, must have known a lot of the Old Testament because he's going to share the Old Testament and how then Jesus fulfills that, how it points to him, how he's the ultimate, the greater, the superior of that. How those things were a shadow and he's the real 
thing, right? There's, he was standing there and the light was shining through him and we were getting shadows of it, but now we get the full picture of him. And so we know this be, be, we uh, really can be pretty certain this was to Jewish Christians because they're people who really understood um, their Old Testament to them, just their Bible, right? They understood the scriptures and the stories. If nothing else, there were people who understood the scriptures who were very familiar uh, with with Judaism and that history, or were taught at least by um, other Jewish people in their communities who now were following um, Jesus. We believe this probably was written to a certain uh, community. So we're not sure exactly which community, um, but there's a few different. I want you to share just so you get a little idea of the map here. This is some of the major areas in that time. And we think um, this was probably written to a group because there was three areas that there was a high population of Jewish Christians. We think maybe it could have been in Jerusalem, which would make sense. There's a lot of Jewish people in Jerusalem that were um, converting and becoming Christians. Also, Rome is really popular. We think that probably is where the letter is written. But I think this is interesting. This might be part of church history you're a little less aware of. Also, Alexandria was a bustling, uh, exciting place. In fact, there were times in in church history, in the early church, in that first century, where there were churches being planted faster, and the movement of of the church was growing quicker in Egypt and pushing into Africa than anywhere else in the world. There There are actually stories of missionaries from Africa sailing over into what is now Europe, um, bringing Jesus to people. There's people who were converted um, with all, with these churches who were sending missionaries in the first century over to Europe. There's a story of uh, a Roman Christian meeting someone who shared the gospel with them. And they said, oh, we already know the gospel here. And they said, oh, we, we're like sending people over from Africa to, to share. I just love, I love that history that we don't necessarily aren't always aware. In fact, Mark, um, uh, who was considered like called at one point, like the Bishop or almost the Pope of, of, uh, Egypt in that area of Northern Africa. I, I think that's really cool, cool history. Now, now we, we think one of those probably Rome is where the letter was written, but there's also a lot of other options and we don't really know. The letter doesn't tell us specifically geographically, but we do know, And from the title, Hebrews, throughout history, it's just gotten that name, Hebrews, because it was written to Hebrew people, Jewish people. So that's all helpful to know because as we get through this, we're going to actually get an opportunity to learn uh, a lot of our, a bunch of Old Testament as we learn about um, how Jesus fills it. Let's keep rolling though. When? This is cool. So we're we're not sure about who who wrote it or specifically the, the place. A lot of our other books in the Bible, we get like, you know, Ephesians are written to people in Ephesus. We're not sure exactly where, but this one, we're, we can be pretty certain the time period. And this is cool. We think it's written around in the 60s, like the 60s, not the 1960s, just the 60s. Um, and we think probably around 64 to 68. And the reason we know some of that um, is because it's actually referenced or quoted in writings that are uh, later in that century, like in the 90s. Um so we know that people had had to get it before that. We also know in the book of Hebrews, they're, they're going to refer to the temple and what the temple is and what you do with the temple. Um, and we know in the year 70, the temple was destroyed. And so in the book, it, it wouldn't have talked about the temple in the way it does if the temple was destroyed. It probably would have talked about how the temple's been destroyed, how Jesus is our ultimate temple. Um, but 
but we know that somewhere in this period, which is kind of cool from the, from the clues in the actual book, we can learn that somewhere in here, which is just consider for a second how cool it is in that moment in history. In those years, somebody wrote this out to send to a church to encourage the people there. And lastly, just a question of important why. Why generally, why do, why do we think this was written? Well, it's to remind these Jewish Christians that Jesus is greater. That all of these things that are maybe really worked in to their uh, religious life, to their worldview, um, things like the temple and sacrifices and priests, how, how do these things, the word of God, we could look to those things as the ultimate. They remind him, no, Jesus has come to fulfill. Just like those men on that walk to Emmaus, that we're being reminded that Jesus, the one, so their hearts would burn for him um, and not for anything else. Also, the book has a lot of that, explains that, and then it gives us a warning because there was um, pe- were people who were being persecuted. They were being harmed, even killed for their faith in Jesus. And it'd be uh, easy to say, or you'd be tempted to say, I'm going to turn away. This doesn't seem right or real. And then go back to Judaism or, or whatever else um, they go back to. And so um, it's, it's a warning to say, don't turn away. Be careful you're not turning away from Jesus because he is the ultimate, the good thing. All right. I'm excited for this. We're going to hop into the book of Hebrews. Here we go. That was your, your uh, exclusive enormous right few minutes you get the whole thing now everyone knows everything about hebrews let's get after it i'm excited to hop in here we're just going to hop right into the first four verses of hebrews today um and then for the next few months until four months uh we're gonna until the end of may we're gonna be looking through hebrews so i encourage you to to read hebrews on your own um uh, consider saying that even consider reading Hebrews and then looking at the references and reading some of those Old Testament passages there about. But let's look at Hebrews. We're going to read through the first four verses and then just walk through them um, in, our, in our time that we have left here. This is Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in least, but in least last days, these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he was inherited as superior to theirs. We're just going to take a little step through this passage. What is this first this is the introduction. This is the this is the, the the big intro to this book about how good Jesus is, how much greater he is. And it says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. God has spoken through these prophets. Right? We've been talking about this already. God spoke through these, these um, men and women of God who, who came and lived faithful lives. And God literally came and said, hey, I want you to talk to my people about how they've turned away from me, what, what I'd like them to do, how, how I'm encouraged by them. Um, and so God has used these people to do that. They've, those people have been, like I had said before, kind of a shadow of, of the son of God who is now here. They got a taste of these kings and priests and sacrifices and the, and the word of God, but now they get them here in the flesh. 
now you get my son. So it's it's setting us up to say these things were good, but now God is speaking to us with his own flesh and blood, his son. It's all been building towards this moment. That's Jesus. It's not, it's not like, hey, there was this stuff and now actually, sorry, no, it's actually Jesus. It's that these all have been building, right? It's this thing that just until we hit the mountaintop, it's Jesus, right? They've all fulfilled in Jesus. It's progressed and grown to this moment with Jesus. Not this, this is where this is for me, my own heart. I can go, oh, the Old Testament, weird stuff didn't work. So God had to come for plan B with Jesus. Jesus was always plan A. He was showing us through all of these, these people and these, these moments how good it could be and there would be this one who would do these things and it was Jesus. It's one of the things I love about reading the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, if you're able to read that book, um, we got it to read. We actually read it before we had kids, but read with our kids and every story ends with, hey, just in case you don't know, there's one who will come who will do this even better and be perfect at it. Right? That's the part of the story I get weepy and my girls are like, oh, it's always about Jesus at the end. It is, right? Jesus isn't this different hope, but he's the hope. I, I love this um, quote here. Um, let me find it here for us. <clears throat> From James Edward um, Massey. He, 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 um, he, he, I, I love the way he describes this. He says, The prophets were all limited by their humanity and historical circumstances. While the son speaks of his father with a full inside view of the divine will, He's saying prophets were limited because they were just humans and just in a one historical moment. But now we're talking about the son who is God and has come and added humanity to that God. So he's not just a human in a human circumstance. He's God who's now attached himself to humanity so that he can die, suffer for us, with us. So he's come and he has this divine Will, he has the view of the divine will. That's incredible. Here's the part I love. This is thus a fullness and finality to what the Son has done. And there is an ultimacy to what to he as Son has done. You hear that? I picked this picture of him because I feel like this is what he'd be saying right now. There's a fullness and a finality to what the Son has done. And there's an ultimacy to what he has as Son has done. Ultimacy, right? This this isn't like Jesus is one more step in fulfilling what God wants. Jesus has come and is the thing. He is the ultimate, right? There's there's actually a, a lot of world religions that be, believe in Jesus and think he's a great person, and even a spiritual person, and even maybe one of the greatest spiritual people, but just one in the line. We're saying everything has built to Jesus being the ultimate, the final the fullness of all of these things. And that's what Hebrews is going to tell us and is, is introducing him, right, to start out. It's, it's like, I think of it as like a song. If you think those songs that you love that build, where sometimes they have this like, it gets exciting and then it breaks down and then all of a sudden they add in like a guitar solo and then there's the bass comes in, the drums come in, it's getting louder and all you're getting excited. All of a sudden there's like an orchestra shows up and then there's a choir and it's all building and building and building and you just can't wait. And you've heard this song a thousand times and you can't wait for this moment. Um, and then there's that second right before they like all come in together, there's like a, 
a silence, right? That's when like the guitar player's jumping off of his the his amp, right? And the keyboard player's looking over at the bass player and they're just about ready to be like, yeah, this is it, right? Everyone's so excited. They're screaming. The crowd's going wild. You're banging on your steering wheel in your car, right? Or your air guitar on your bed in your bedroom. You, this is like this moment. It all builds to this. And then the note hits and you, you celebrate. It has happened. It has been fulfilled. It is the ultimate. This is what we get in Jesus. Our hearts are burning because Everything we have desired has been fulfilled in this one, in this person. It's so good. It's so good. And so then, as the introduction should, it continues. I love how uh, uh, the author here explains it. He says, uh, he's spoken to us by his son, and then he introduces his son. And he just lists out all of these things, whom he appointed heir to all things, meaning he inherits all things, he owns all things. He is the one who who calls all things his. And then next he says, and through whom also he made the universe. He's not just the one who owns all things, he created everything. He's creative. He's not a created being, he is the creator. Creativity comes from this one. And if that's not enough, he says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He, he's the shining, blazing, glowing image of who God is. This, this phrasing here, exact representation, also is a phrase that has been used as a stamp. He's like a stamp of God. He's, he's, it's not like, oh, he kind of looks like God. He is this exact image as if God had stamped an image of himself. We get the full picture of who God is. We hear then he also sustaining all things by his powerful word. We remember back to Genesis where God speaks everything into existence. This is that same God who through his word, he sustains things. When we go to bed at night at our house, one of the things, if nothing else, I I try to pray over our girls is that, Lord, let us sleep well, knowing that you have all things in your hands. Because when I lay down and I have trouble sleeping, it's because I forget that. or I don't believe that. And when that's burning in my heart, when I know God actually sustains things, changes things, right? We hear that here. Jesus who sustains things by his power forward. And then we hear after that, he had provided um, purification for our sins. Not only that, Jesus has come and suffered As a lamb did with the priests, he has suffered once and for all, taken the punishment for our sins. And then I love this phrase. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. We get through all of these and he sits down at the right hand of the majesty. Why is that important? Because when you sit down, you're done. When you sit down, you're victorious. He sits down because he's king on his throne and the battle has been won. And, and now he sustains things. How good. This introduction to who Jesus is is so good. It, this, it makes me think of um, like when you see the introduction to like a football game, right? Where the people are coming out. The flames are shooting up. The fans are going wild. People are like, I can't believe it. 
there they are, right? This is so incredible. Everyone's loving it. They're, and you hear the, the announcing voice, from whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things, has provided purification for sins, and now he sits down on the throne, right? And everyone loses their minds, and the other team just forfeits because they know they can't beat Jesus. I mean, how what a great way to start this book is to be reminded of how good this Jesus is. And now we're going to get to take time to look at all of those moments, how he has purified us, how he is a greater lamb, how he's a greater high priest, how he's a greater king, how he is the word of God. It's so good, friends. And I pray that in the next few months together, we would, uh, our hearts would burn more for Jesus. Our hope would be set in him and that would bring peace and joy to us. And not just to us, but it would overflow out of us to those around us. As we'd say, that thing you want so bad is fulfilled in the good goodness of Jesus.